Hello, I'm Harry. Hello, I'm Rory, and you're listening to Games on Film. Welcome back to Games on Film, the podcast that celebrates video game movies. And we have a very special movie today. We're doing Tron Legacy and we have a very special guest. We have here, it says, the, the world's biggest Tron fan. Um, actually, that, that is my handwriting. <laughs> so I've written here, the world's biggest Tron fan, uh, Swanee. Hello. Hi, how's it going? And uh, what what are your credentials as the world's biggest Tron fan? I, <laughs> I mean, I'm not assuming. I'm assuming not self-proclaimed. This is just what I've heard through Rory. Fine, fine, okay. Um, I mean, I have a tattoo. If that counts, it's not. It's not a full body tattoo, which makes you look like the sort of the clothing of Tron. I didn't go for the full on. No, not with the disc and on the back and everything. No, it's just um, a calf, a calf tattoo, bespoke. I might add. You know. Okay. So, so, so uh, what is that, what is what is is it a glyph or an icon? It's, no, it's something that actually I made with um, a friend. He, it, I wasn't tricked into getting it. It's not one of those stories. But um, we came up with the idea, and I've always vowed that I would never have a tattoo unless it was something I knew implicitly I was going to love for my entire life. So I thought, yeah, I'll get a Tron one. Um, so I kind of came up with the design, and it just says "Greetings Program" in oh, uh, nice in sort of Tron style writing. Right. it's always a bit of a risk i suppose when you get a tattoo of a, a beloved franchise because like the next film will come along and then it might ruin everything <laughs> and as one of, my, one of my friends pointed out he said oh it should say greetings programs so and i was getting all conception i said no no because you meet one person at a time you see so that's yeah that's and the first thing out. you do naturally is show off your calf to them well quite yeah <laughs> <laughs> But Swanee, I know from uh, we worked together with Gamer Disco doing uh, video game and music club nights and events. And uh, you're also uh, Sega Global Events Manager, and you've worked on many gaming events uh, in various different capacities in the past. I don't know whether Tron uh, set you on that path when you first saw it. I'd like to sort of go back to back to the start when you first saw the original film because uh tron legacy is celebrating its 10th anniversary this year so mm. the passing of time uh is uh in evidence i don't know well i don't know what i'm trying to say i'm just saying yeah, lots no, of time has passed between now and tron legacy and then a lot of time had passed even more so between tron legacy and the original tron so uh what was the sort of a uh, genesis of uh, your path towards uh, gaming and, and tronage i guess I think, do you know what i think there's probably a lot of truth in that i'd never thought about it that much but at the time i was very much into computers i think everybody was but in um sort of stuck out in snowdonia in, in north wales there wasn't kind of much to do other than going and running jumping climbing trees to quote it is odd but um so computers was one thing and sort of maths as well i was very into logistics and physics and, and sort of that kind of um, building world around data, I suppose. Mm -hmm. 
and while I was studying IT in Dorgetla College. Um, there was there was sort of that brought me back to it at the time, you know, and just knowing how to write programs and the sort of, I guess, comfort and, and sort of boring methodicalness behind programming, you know, that, that sort of it really intrigued me. And yeah, to see, you know, to see how the film had been developed and sort of, I don't know if that kind of did set me on a path towards logical thinking and, and sort of seeing what I could get the most out of computers and the, and the cultural landscape around us. I think that's perhaps, you know, I've ended up doing sort of marketing, arguably, having come through that that journey. Um, and a lot of that is about sort of people's cultures and how people view things. And yeah, so I suppose, yeah, I suppose you've identified something I've not really thought about there before, Rory. Well, this is a safe space. <laughs> <laughs> and you're welcome to open up. When did you first see Tron? Was it in the cinema at all or was it on video? Oof. No, it would have been on video, definitely. Um, again, probably from a, a video van that was doing the rounds um, around Gwyneth at the time. Um, yeah, having ac- had access to just those really. And then um, that would have probably been, I don't know, 86, 87 possibly, mm-hmm. uh, around that kind of time. Um, yeah, and it just, I, I guess I, I just must have had the video for about a week and just watched it again and again and again. And that again started that sort of fascination for it. And just... I just I think it's funny because in the, in the, at the moment, people are worried about how a lot of films are going straight to streaming and of course they're worried about cinemas of course and the staff but like i'm a massive james bond fan and so much of the bond fandom is like pissing blood at the idea of the bond the next bond film coming straight to streaming and i think literally every bond fan saw their first bond film on the telly and often like pan and scan and with advert breaks so i mean you watch Tron on VHS and here you are years later with a Tron tattoo and it's, you know, obviously perhaps even changed your life. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think there's a lot of things around the original films that intrigue me about the way that people were communicating, you know, and, and how there's a lot. I watched a making of documentary recently. They were talking about how they envisaged the world and the Jeff Bridges, you know, the grid I wanted in, sort of monologue is, is is no coincidence that's you know how they set the whole thing but they were working with people at the time that were developing some pretty pretty advanced technologies you know and adapting those as well and I think just this fascination around how we were learning to communicate with computers and, and that sort of impending world that actually was being being built around us I think is something that, that probably sparked intrigue in it and I think there's, there's a lot of that now you know you look at the way that um different generations have a new communication platform and now gaming is supposedly you know the the new media if you like um or the new revolution and that and i think this grid that they talk about in the first one you know if we can get sort of deep about it for a second is what perhaps we're now living in you have avatars you have the internet and twitter and facebook you know and everybody is already moving around this grid it's how are we communicating with each other um, within that, you know, and I, that's, that's what I find fascinating really is how we adopt to these new technologies. And I think it's interesting because with Tron Legacy coming some 30 ish years, just under 30 years uh, mm-hmm. from the original when it was released in 2010, um, you know, with the original release, all those ideas and concepts were still very sort of new and maybe hadn't entered the public mainstream in, in quite the same way. Whereas with Tron Legacy, all that stuff 
was part of everyone's lives, you know, computer networking and the sort of the way the grid is represented had become part and parcel of everyone's lives. And, you know, even more so 10 years removed from that. Uh, mm. So it's interesting comparing the two films on a purely contextual level, not just in terms of updating in terms of graphics, technology, etc., but just, you know, how they interpret that world to an audience uh, who is perhaps more clued up, even if they hadn't seen the original film, they would understand all these uh, concepts um, of all the digital programs in the grid and how that uh, is represented. I listened to our Tron episode uh, last night and both Rue and I found the first 15 minutes completely baffling (laughs) because um, they, they throw you in at the deep end and they're just using all these sort of nouns that um, I think even you know, modern day, i.e. Uh, us, twenty, I think it was 2018 we did that episode, we had struggle, we struggled with keeping up with it. And I can only imagine what it was like for audiences of 1982. And so, yes, I think, as, as Rory said, very much more clued up today. Clued up being a great pun. Clued up. <laughs> um, but I think also this there's something in it where, you know, at the time that films were, you know, what other stuff did you have? I'm, I'm thinking about Flight of the Navigator and things. That was much later, you know, Short Circuit and everything much later. So those kind of stupid, ridiculous stories just came from that. But with it being Disney, and this is something, you know, again, relative to the two titles, the second one I thought, oh, no, it's going to be rubbish Disney story. It's going to be love story, blah, blah, blah. But then re-watching, you know, original Tron, before watching Legacy, I went, you know what, actually, it is a love story. That's exactly what it is in the way that it's laid out, like most other Disney Disney films, you know, you can tell a lot of effort went into that. Conversely, the trailer is incredibly dark and it's kind of, you know, in a world where love and escape do not compute. <laughs> it's like, well, that doesn't make any sense because that's exactly what he does, is he does love her and then he does escape. So, what, so <laughs> there's this kind of weird, you know, dichotomy between what they're trying to do and just go, rah, look at all this amazing visual technology versus holy crap, we've actually got to have a compelling story within that, you know, and there's a lot in that and again between the two films what they've done very well is um musically sort of tied in obviously the second one you had daft punk yep great safe easy bet that's my friend rich always says that um tron legacy is the best daft punk music video there ever is (laughs) oh god yes i mean i almost said i say this film tron legacy starring daft punk (laughs) exactly it is perhaps the best soundtrack of of the last 10 mm. years or so i mean yeah i i on the, i was so hyped about this film and and the soundtrack was amazing in the trailers and i think i waited until midnight that it got released on itunes and i immediately downloaded it <laughs> so uh i was up quite late just bopping away like right. the kids do <laughs> that, apparently that's, that's what the kids dem do these days do you dem i was throwing shapes i.e discs <laughs> Were you flossing to, to the soundtrack? Flossing hadn't been invented in 2010. <laughs> I invented flossing in my bedroom that night, but I didn't tell anyone. <laughs> I'm kicking myself now. I think um, as well, you know, on the music side of it, there's, there's that kind of... So in the 80s, electro was a big deal. You know, synths were a big deal and, and all of that side. And a, a huge um, musical artist that I love is uh, Jean-Michel Jarre. And that's all lasers, synths, and just some amazing sounds and evocative sort of orchestral things brought together, you know. And I always think if Jean-Michel Jarre 
did the soundtrack to Tron, mm-hmm. that again would have been just one of the most, you know, sort of groundbreaking films that, that ever could have been, you know, pushing those two together. But it's interesting to look at French electro music around then, French electro music around now, you know, there's that cyclical sort of thing to... Um, Light cyclical. Light. Hey. <laughs> Is this going to be constant puns on the on the names of Tron? Oh, I sure Can we just put, put a stop on that now? Can we just write... <laughs> End of line, okay? <laughs> Moving on. We'll soon wrestle them all out. <laughs> well, I think we should also mention that there is a Tron... Tron 3 has been teased since, ever since Tron Legacy came out. And there was an exciting moment for me a few years ago where it's, it just seemed to all coalesce. And it was definitely, definitely going to happen. And then it went away. And then... I think the current state of play is is Jared Leto. That's correct. Is, is gonna be in Tron, and every time Jared Leto's attached to a project, there's like a collective eye roll and a shrug from everyone. <laughs> he, he seems just like an incredibly tiresome person. <laughs> yeah, um, Hollywood's ickiest megastar. <laughs> yeah, and you know, like for me, that was. I mean, we'll get into the Tron Legacy proper in a bit, but I think Tron Legacy. And of course, the original, they both hint at just so much potential and so much lore and so many ideas. And you just think, oh, if they're just, they're just making a Jared Leto film now and they're going to get yeah. rid of all those ideas. And well, you mentioned the trailer of Tron 1. And I think the film came out in the middle of the Star Wars trilogy. And I think it was still a time where sci fi films were advertised on their ideas and now as much as i love like the marvel films and 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 a lot of star wars films and and things like that it's like they try and hide the fact that films have ideas nowadays mm-hmm. yeah people want to just roll over and just enjoy the colors and things yeah i think there's a lot in that there's a whole other couple of hours chat that we should have over here sometimes <laughs> and you know that consumerist element of choice and how it's presented and everything else i think you know that's a huge deal especially with you know disney and and companies like that and let's not talk at the moment about the side of disney not paying writers you know and all of that that's kicking off as well so i think there's an issue around do people want this content or is it just here's the thing that you, you know like top gun 2 we're going to watch it aren't we but yeah there's this sort of it's just going to be whiz bang flash and everything else and this is, I make a different. I, I try and make a differentiation between movies and films. So Schindler's List, great film. Need for Speed, great movie. You know, <laughs> zero script. You can have no story, but it can still be a great movie. Transformers in one of those. I think that's why right. we bill ourselves as a, a video game movie podcast rather than a video game <laughs> film podcast, because generally they err towards the uh, former. Um, <laughs> Do you remember yeah. what the title of our podcast is, though? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> games on film. It's not called Games on Movie. We're talking about 35mm. Okay. And this is just my definition, remember, so, you know, be, be beholden to your own. <laughs> but I think that there's something in that um, how people don't necessarily seek out things that they're interested in as much anymore. You know, when you have video, it was people sharing Grindhouse videos and stuff in college and schools, whatever. Now it's so much is there that you just have to be lights and sound and big stars and that's how you recoup your money. So we're in that weird zone of content delivery, I think. And 
Jared Leto saying, yeah, we've got some great ideas. See you in the grid just makes me sort of want to. <laughs> well, not. yeah, I mean, with Tron 3, um, I'm slightly, yeah, the Jared Leto involvement, I'm not so keen on. Uh, but the current director tap for it is Garth Davis, who did Lion with Dev Patel, which actually I didn't have any kind of um, preconceptions about when I saw it. But actually, I, I thought it was uh, was quite a good movie and um uh, you've reminded me i was approached by somebody in an odian cinema asking for want to see a free preview screening of that and i said describe it to me and it's like she showed me the poster and it's like dev patel and he goes on this journey and she said oh and you can see it for free and i was like oh, i've already got unlimited cards i just uh, yeah. asked. <laughs> well, I, I, was like dev patel. I was a pain customer in the cinema and i saw it and i didn't feel like i had to uh, you know, I would have seen it for free, but uh, yeah, I, uh, he also thought you, you were going to say someone came forward and asked me to direct Tron 3. <laughs> oh, that would have been good. Um, and he also directed the uh, Mary Magdalene film with Joaquin Phoenix as Jesus Christ and Rooney Mara as the titular Mary. Again, you've not really sold Tron 3 <laughs> to me yet. Um, Joaquin Phoenix. I like his films, but him as an actor, I just don't know. There's something about this makes you go, I just... I don't enjoy watching his films, you know. Have you seen um, the film I can't remember's title? Joker? No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, no. Oh, what Probably was it? You, you were never really not. Oh, you were never really here. Yeah. I have not. I would recommend. I would recommend you're never really here because that's kind of everyone says that's what Joker wanted to be. <laughs> when he's a bit of an unhinged eventual cat chap <laughs> but yes you know at the end of the day where we stand after tron legacy they released an animated show called tron uprising which yeah. i didn't watch and there's a taiwanese roller coaster or is it shanghai roller coaster shanghai, yeah i have to get shanghai roller coaster which i've not ridden so <laughs> well tron uprising yeah like so that was one of those kind of spin-offs which uh, charts like what happened in between the first movie and the second movie and uh, featured uh, Elijah Wood, star of Spy Kids 3D, um, <laughs> as well as uh, Lance Henriksen, Mandy Moore and Paul Pee Wee Herman Rubens, uh, as well as um, Tron Legacy cast members, Olivia Wilde and Bruce Botsleitner. So yeah, like I mean, you were talking earlier about Disney and the machine and all the stuff that comes with it. And you know, when a big movie rolls out, you get these spin-offs and you get these ancillary products. And there was obviously the um, uh, Tron Evolution video game and Tron Evolution Battle Grids, another video game released at the time. So, you know, products, content, it's always going to happen. You know, I actually worked on one of those. It was the DS version, as you say, was not exactly well received. I think they've had a real issue with that, going back to the title of the podcast the game side of it they've had a real issue converting um tron into to decent games which is a shame because it's you know there's so much decent source material there and it's kind of wild considering that those games in both tron and tron legacy play you know their sort of key set pieces and their key sequences and mm. you know like looking at the sort of the way the games are interpreted in in tron legacy in particular it, it kind of has the same look and feel and style as like big you know esports arena entertainment mm. and and everything so um kind of wild that they haven't yeah. been able to really 
you know capture that in a in a video game setting although i think like doesn't tron legacy appear in one of those kingdom hearts spin-off titles i don't know i get very confused about the oh. kingdom hearts games they're all called like kingdom hearts 2.5 to 2.8 hd <laughs> spellbind remits or something <laughs> you've always been more switched on with the the random games than i have but i don't, you know what i don't actually know that i'm gonna have to try and find that now i recall seeing that Bad look at us the three of us we kind of think there might have been <laughs> some tron in kingdom hearts so this is what you're listening for there was, uh, sorry to just finish off on that there was um Rory, Sam Braley was it that made Laser League? Okay, yeah. That we had at Gamer Disco. That was kind of an arena-based, run-around, esportsy with uh, Roll Seven, you know, wasn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. you had lots of different powers, and you know that was kind of it got there with the discs of Tron thing. Yeah, I think, I think that was but... maybe the most um, playable version of a Tron-based, Tron-inspired mm. game that I've I've played. Yeah, Laser League. I would yeah. recommend to anyone. And I'm thinking to the um i'm thinking back to so i'm currently at home at my parents place and just down the road from here is where there used to be this big old and we used to have them quite close by country pubs with you know arcades just shoved in there because that's what they had at the time so tron was the arcade game that was there and that's again i guess as soon as video van rolled around i had this pre-existing legacy if you like haha <laughs> um because i played the game so much. and i think the arcade game just did so well because it's got the four individual bits it's not trying to be groundbreaking you know it's got four different arenas you go in there you have a bit of fun and it's cool but that's the addictive nature it's beating your score Mm. um versus what's been trying to be created which is this huge world and developing that you know there's a lot of opportunity within it that that needs to be taken but people have always tried too hard on the technical visual side or not hard enough on the story side you know so it's always missed the mark i think any Mm. any game have you gone back to that pub and seen if there's like a secret lab behind the Tron arcade machine? <laughs> it's definitely not there now. No, it's, um, <laughs> unfortunately, it's a block of flats now, such as everything. Oh. Um, not the lab still, the basement lab could still be there. It's, it's just there. Uh, just underneath the flats. It seems really bizarre to me that in Tron Legacy, Kevin Flynn, um, he hides the entrance to a secret lab in perhaps the busiest room in his building <laughs> so he can only access this lab like after closing must have been a real pain in the ass <laughs> like he was doing this lab and no one would talk him out of it and then he'd finally like it'll be that the penny would only drop when he first tries to access his lab and it's like oh oh shit there's like a hundred people here <laughs> <laughs> And then he'd have to basically be put in in all the hours overnight and then open during mm-hmm. the daytime and then the whole thing fell apart and he ended up yeah it wasn't profitable after all that's no life life work balance yeah. very important there's speaking speaking of the arcade bit the um an activation that they had a couple of years ago was by hp uh in this kind of bid just to throw some money at disney to stick our logo on everything um and the agency that worked on it actually did it really, really well. There was this the Flynn's Arcade replicated in the NFT down on South Bank, actually. That's another relevance. Um, and they did a really good job of it to replicate that world. You know, you had lots of super fans going down there. And also, um, they managed to create this whole NCOM world around it where you logged into this back-end intranet and you were sent out a, a real-world pass that you then took along to the press event. So... There's just always been a lot of that tying those things together really well, I think, you know, and the arcade is one of the 
things you see everywhere. Every time there's a Tron activation, it's the arcade, it's the dust sheets, it's it's that. They they pump the scent of eighties body odor <laughs> <laughs> through the vents. The combination of sweat and fit cigarettes. <laughs> um, I mean, yes, I guess this all proves that there's a lot of love still for Tron and you know the, the reason this film was sort of Tron Legacy was willed into existence is because even though the first film was kind of a black sheep of the Disney sort of library because it, it wasn't particularly well received um, I think so many people grew up with it wanting to see more and I think I, I put myself into this category. I, I'm still desperate for news on a on a Tron three. I'd want to see. <laughs> so, um, who would be your? I, I was listening to your guys's um, EGX, sorry, Rest live session the other day with your film pitches as well. Mm-hmm. So, if I can be so, um, <laughs> I suppose diverse from the conversation. Who would who would you want as your? Um, is your lead role in, in Tron 3? Well, I mean, I'll just say here, I said spoilers for Tron Legacy because that, that opens up that can of worms. I mean, I find the ending, we're going right to the ending, the ending of Tron Legacy, I just think really hints a brilliant idea for a third film. The problem is the, this. I think Tron Legacy is the absolute definition of a flawed masterpiece because there's lots I love about it. Um, but some some sort of flaws is that the main actor, he's kind of a bit dull, and the character is kind of written in a sort of a dull way. This is very much a star vehicle for Jeff Bridges. So I feel like my hand would be forced into having... Um, what the fuck is even his name? Garrett Hedlund. I think I'd be forced into getting Garrett Hedlund to be the main actor. Maybe it starts with him having a motorcycle accident (laughs) (laughs) and then Olivia Wilde becomes the main character because I just find the whole idea that a program makes it to the real world just so fascinating. It's a magic of the movies moment. It's like I remember seeing clips of Tony Stark on an alien planet when they were doing, when they were showing um infinity war pictures and i was losing my shit i was like tony stark on an alien planet and i was like hang on harry harry this is just robert downey jr on the set it's not that impressive <laughs> and so here we've just got olivia Cole, uh, olivia not coleman well now that's <laughs> that's casting i'd like to see <laughs> olivia coleman olivia coleman in tron regina tron um but yeah yeah olivia wilde we're just told she's in the real world we're just told she's a program but i'm still like oh my god a program in the real world and so i think the greatest tragedy that was not going to be a Tron 3 is that a third Tron, rather than being most sequels, which get bigger and more expensive, I think a third Tron could be cheapest because it'll be, it could be set in the real world and you can just do Pixels, the, <laughs> the movie, the Adam, Adam Sandler movie. Yeah, no one wants that again. Something like Cobra Kai that's done really, really well. You know, you watch Cobra Kai on Netflix, you're like, oh, it's a bit cheesy. But then you go, no, that's what it should be. So I think mm. I'd like to see Tron go back to the original cheesy love story type stuff, not what happened in Legacy, which was glitz glamour, you know, a more sort of rough around the edges, uh, but ultimately more satisfying film, I think, for three. I mean, it seems like a fairly standard trope, but I mean, 
I get the impression that Sam Flynn and Cora, who played by Olivia Wilde, could have a thing in the third film. Totally. It it does it does fall into that creepy fifth element sort of thing where she seems like she's born yesterday, and so yeah, I, I think I think the kind <laughs> of like relationship that they have it's it's uh, not manic pixie dream girl, but manic pixel dream girl. Oh, very good. But I think it's it's a dangerous line to sort of follow where it's just like, oh, like it doesn't have that kind of thing. It's like she's a naive, childlike uh, figure. And then it gets into like, oh, mansplaining territory where it's just like, let me show you what the real world is like. I mean, there's a good line of dialogue when they first meet when um, uh, she's talking about the books in uh, Flynn's collection and uh, she says that Jules Verne is her favourite. And she says, do you know Jules Verne? And Sam says, sure. And she says, what's he like? <laughs> That's a good line. A I good don't line. get any impression that Sam Flynn has ever read a book. <laughs> he is presented as a smart guy, but I don't imagine him reading Verne. I think there's something really interesting, Rory, you've just noticed there with that interaction. It's a bit sort of Sandra Bullock in Demolition Man-esque. Oh, yeah. You know, where it's kind of admitting it's, it's a weird jibe. It's a, it's a strange sort of, ha that it's just not really needed. Do you know what I mean? It's a weird, it's a weird element to Well, I think we'll talk about her characterization in a little bit, because I think she's one of the more fascinating characters. But before we get any further, shall we read the back of the box? Oh, yeah, let's uh, let's set up the plot. Do you, do you have this on DVD or Blu-ray, Harry? I have this double play. Mm. This is a Blu-ray plus DVD. So this was definitely the time when it, most people had DVD players. I think they still do, actually. I don't think Blu-ray's ever quite taken off as well as it mm-hmm. should have. Uh, as I opened the box, my cinema ticket popped out. This is when I was keeping cinema tickets. So I saw this on the 22nd of December, 2010, at 3.15. Where did you and see I it? In uh, the Richmond Odeon Cinema. Okay, because wow. I think I saw it at the uh, IMAX, the BFI IMAX in Waterloo. And I can't remember mm. whether it was 3D or not, but I was sort of reminded of that because when I was watching the Blu-ray, there was a disclaimer at the start saying, sometimes the letterbox bars will disappear uh, to replicate the IMAX experience. But it just meant every time a big action sequence happened, it would just be like IMAX mode and just the f- screen would fill up. <laughs> I mean, we'll touch upon that just now. When I saw it, I remember in the cinema it's saying that the 3D effect only happens partway through the film. And that's a very clever technique. The entire start of the film doesn't use any IMAX stuff and it doesn't use any 3D. But that first shot, when you see the recognizer appear above Sam Mm. Flynn, and that's when the 3D popped in and the IMAX. And I think that's done really well. It kind of makes you wish the whole film was shot on IMAX, but, you know. Yeah, it's sort of like a Wizard of Oz Technicolor uh, Mm. transfer moment. It's not as bad as what happens on the, the Dark Knight trilogy Blu-rays, where sequences will have uh, the bars popping in and out, pretty much depending on the shot. This film manages to kind of have ch- large chunks of IMAX. But also because like, so much of the visual landscape is black, like you don't really notice the letterboxing coming <laughs> in anyway, I suppose. It just sort of disappears That's into true. the ground and sky mostly. What do you say? Tomorrow, you and I hit the arcade. First game's on me. 
Can we play doubles on the same team? We're always on the same team. Good evening. Our lead story, Kevin Flynn was reported missing. The visionary ICOM and NCOM CEO skyrocketed to the top of the tech industry. He was last seen at home with his son, Sam, leaving behind an empire and a now orphan little boy. Sam, I was Paige last night. Paige came from your dad's office at the arcade. Alan, you're acting like I'm gonna find him sitting there working. Possibility. It's incredible. More beautiful than I ever dreamed. And more dangerous than I ever imagined. What happened? My creation turned against me. Heaven Flynn! Where are you now? What am I supposed to do? <laughs> Survive. We have to get you out of here. Alka, there's a new world. Here they come. Alka, yeah. Is our destiny. So, got the video box here. The text is tiny, so I've literally got a magnifying glass out to read it. Um. Disney presents a high-tech motion picture unlike anything you've ever seen. I mean, I would imagine it's a bit like the first Tron, but <laughs> moving on. Um, immerse yourself in the digital world of da -da -da -da, Tron. As celebrated actor Jeff Bridges stars in a revolutionary visual effects adventure beyond imagination. Again, that's a phrase I find annoying because everything's advertised as a beyond your imagination but people imagined this so come on get real when flynn the world's greatest video game creator sends out a secret signal from an amazing digital realm his son discovers the clue clue and embarks on a personal journey to save his long-lost father with the help of the fearless female warrior cora you don't have to mention female just to mm. you know, get the female market disney uh famous She's not a princess, though. Well, I would love to see a tronified princess outfit. I don't know. Last of her kind is a different kind of chosen one uh, element. <laughs> uh, so with the help of the fearless female warrior Korra, father and son venture through an incredible cyber universe and wage the ultimate battle of good versus evil. Wow. It's really like just trying to catch a train, though, isn't it? Like they're trying to get to the portal, which is closing. It's like, oh, we're running late. It's like fucking um, the start of Home Alone. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Catherine O'Hara appears and shouts, Kevin! Flynn! <laughs> <laughs> 
a short while ago, I said this was, in my eyes, a flawed masterpiece. And I think we need to talk about Kevin <laughs> Flynn because I think the massive problem I have with this film is the digital version of young Kevin Flynn. I've seen some fascinating deep fakes, which didn't exist 10 years ago, where somebody has deep faked better young Jeff Bridges onto Clue's face. And it looks so much better, but I find it so distracting now. I think my, that was my main uh, stumbling block when I first saw the film was it's okay the fact that Jeff Bridges' character, Kevin Flynn, from the original movie, he's made a version of himself in The Grid called Clue. And um, we are introduced to Clue eventually in the game, in The Grid. And it looks uncanny valley video game character slightly rubbery face version of jeff bridges but um that would have been okay if that was all we saw of young jeff bridges but the film starts set in 1989 and we see a youthed jeff bridges in the real world giving his son some bedtime exposition but <laughs> that's meant to be actual flynn young and I was just so confused because he looked like a digital character. Mm-hmm. And then later on, there's a digital character version of him in the game, but we get flashbacks of both what's meant to be young, real human Jeff Bridges and young digital version Jeff Bridges. And they're meant to be so alike, but I don't know, just like give him some makeup or I don't just like do something else because uh, I think so many of the visual effects 10 years later of this film still hold up really well. I think the world looks incredibly solid, even though so much of it is computer generated. I think having that kind of like the visual landscape quite simple means that the characters feel very integrated in those spaces as well, much more than, you know, when green screen is attempting to create huge alien worlds or like realistic cities, etc. This is like very much, you know, very simplistic, but um, very striking. But yeah, it's just the kind of the digital Jeff Bridges face, which is the element which I, I still don't, I still think like motion capture face technology is still not quite there yet in terms of youthing people. But I think the film is so proud of what it achieved that it sticks his face constantly <laughs> in your face when it would have been better kind of masked in shadow or not quite seeing exactly everything in all its uh, tiny detail. I, I, will, I will say, though, that the hair is pretty good. The hair, like <laughs> the way it interacts with his collar is pretty good. Everything else is just <laughs> not quite right. They probably just use Unity engine for the hair. And that was, yeah. <laughs> well, I looked at some behind the scenes stuff and it's funny when you see their rendering of young Kevin Flynn, like just separate, like the the sort of the skin they wrap over an actor's face. It looks perfect. So in when it's not moving, it looks fine. But when it starts moving, it looks wrong. And they used an actor on set to do the body and everything. So maybe his hair was the actor. Um, but yeah, his nose looks weird. He looks like when one of the Simpsons were like when Homer Simpson looks directly into the camera and you realize they're not quite designed for that. <laughs> um, it's funny though. I mean, I mentioned earlier the tr- first trailers for Tron Legacy blew me away. In fact, it should be it should be worth pointing out that 
the there was actually a proof of concept trailer released at comic-con which really just kick-started this whole thing and like i imagine for you swanee was suddenly this announcement trailer kind of it was like a mini movie featuring light cycles and things. It's kind of, it blew me away. They must've done the same for you. Yeah, definitely. You know, the trailer was, everyone was waiting for it. Everyone was waiting to see the thing. And then the light cycles is such a massive part of it. You know, that kind of jumping in across the screen thing. Um, and I won't harp on about what I, I learned about the techniques of how they did it. The first one, but that moment of sort of, justification i suppose of going yes it's going to be okay they've got this and mm-hmm. that's what we see a lot in the games industry you know with like the halo trailer that came out and, and everyone just kind of went oh yeah there's there's a lot of people looking at it going cool it's going to be an amazing game there's a lot of people looking at it going oh but we've come so far and we should have done more with this and they should have oh, the lighting's up so it's it's impossible to appease you know the entire audience but yeah, for me, I thought it was it was fantastic what they did with the trailer. I thought, you know, it definitely whetted my appetite. Um, <laughs> no longer just right angles. There's, there's something, I was going to say, there's something in what you've both sort of identified or talked about there in the digital mapping of Jeff Bridges' face and everything else and, and how movies have to constantly strive, and games as well, you know, just constantly strive to be the epitome Mm. of uh, the advancement technology otherwise it's rubbish and with tron as well there's such an expectation with legacy such an expectation that wasn't on the first one you know they were just kind of shooting it and making everything within the world and making the rules up so mm. with the second one and with so many more films now it's there's so much pressure to do something like that. whereas avatar that will always look beautiful because it was made entirely within the game world it's when you start mm. mixing the two you know that it, it sort of will wear thin after a little while so yeah it reminds me a bit of the star wars prequels which are actually really hard to watch because the total cgi worlds look a bit poo mm. but then the say we like about the quality of the storytelling of the rise of skywalker but they are, are again fighting on completely fake backgrounds and they look photorealistic so mm. yeah the prequels walk so others can run and i guess with jeff bridges's face <laughs> jeff bridges's face walks so other euphifying <laughs> faces and what i wonder as well is things like jason and the archaeologists you know it's coming up to christmas that'll be on but that's <laughs> phenomenal film and you don't think about the fact that the skeletons walk funny you you just get on with enjoying it for what it is you know Mm. that's that's the thing is there's a difference between where companies go actually we can deliver this and do it well let's concentrate on the story versus let's make it the most digitally advanced thing anyone's ever seen which never works but yeah that's the that's the thing is that i don't know how skeletons walk like i have a fair idea (laughs) but i know what jeff bridge's face is meant to look like (laughs) that's very true that's very true i've read a lot of terry pratchett but i haven't yeah learned how skeletons walk yet that's a good (laughs) yeah i just i'm just speaking in terms of when i saw the main trailer and one of the shots in the first main trailer where they've actually shot footage from the film and there's a shot of jeff young jeff bridges appearing on a lift and when i first saw the trailer i didn't know who that guy was it's like who who's this new character it completely threw me that he was meant to be young jeff bridges yeah but um it sounds like it didn't bother you so much no i think it's one of those you know as a, a super fan i think it's you just ignore it largely it's it's within the things of theater you know back to talking about techniques that 
evolve over time. People, when they used to watch Shakespeare, you know, you didn't see a dragon sort of being pulled through the air on a rope and then a year later go, there's that same dragon again. You know, you just, <laughs> so there's, there's sort of techniques as well that you just got to go, yeah, that's that's cool. Okay. But we, yeah, we get this opening section again, which I think as, 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 an issue, as much as an issue I have with how Jeff Bridges look, I think it serves a very necessary purpose in that it does tell you about the world of Tron and the grid and, and it establishes his son, Sam Flynn. And then we get this kind of cool, kind of creepy bit of exposition explaining that Kevin Flynn has disappeared and nobody knows where he is. And we have this quite nice bit of foreshadowing where a grieving Sam Flynn is riding his push cycle. And then we cut to him as an adult uh, wearing, uh, doing a motorcycle chase with a, a police bike, which sort of foreshadows the light cycles from a bit later on. Good to know he's got transferable skills. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wonder, can someone explain to me why Kevin Flynn doesn't tell anyone about his ability to go inside computers? Because I think that would have been really useful to know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's like, you know, Narcissism. yeah, you get very protective out of the of the things you create. And he was like, it's not ready yet. It's not ready. Give me another year. It's not ready. Mm. But like the TV exposition says that people think he's becoming increasingly unhinged. And he, he definitely does a speech in front of a crowd of people where he, he does sound like Donald Trump level mad. Uh-huh. And... I, th- I get the impression he told his best mate, Alan, about this, who was obviously in the original playing Tron. Or maybe he doesn't. I mean, again, if Alan knew about him going inside a computer, I think the first thing he would have done is checked his his secret lab. I don't know. <laughs> just to see what's in there. Yeah. He's just like, don't look in a biscuit tin. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think one thing I love about the concept of Tron, and this is one of these things which is sort of kind of hinted at in Tron Legacy, but it's not really established, is that this is not a film about the internet. This world of Tron is in one computer, entirely separate, and is kind of evolved on its own. So I think the original, we have the master control program accessing systems all over the world. I think this is like a very self-contained thing. And the program's like are not meant to be like spreadsheet programs. They they just sort of like are these they are they are programmed by the user, but they are like individuals or something. And so Yeah. That's why it's such a massive revelation when these IOs appear, which are artificial intelligence really, life forms created by the system, which I just find incredibly profound. It's it's very much like uh, the sort of core of this film and you know sort of interesting to have like a big budget disney movie play around with these themes the idea of a creator who is not responsible for creation within a world he manufactured in terms of sort of self creation in the world that flynn has created there is a a clue coup um, his uh, creation who is designed to create a sort of perfect world turns against him because He's trying to protect these IOs, these um, self-existing life forms within the grid, and Clue considers them imperfections. And particularly towards the end with the rivalry, it's like this whole idea of the creator versus the follower, 
uh, perfection being unknowable. You have this rivalry between Clue and Sam, who are both, mm. in effect, products of Flynn. That's what I call my children. <laughs> They're my, my favorite products. But yeah, it's just, you know, dealing with those, you know, big themes, questioning about belief and religion and what it all means and um you know that's even though i'm not saying that that stuff is necessarily super duper explored it's still in the foreground enough for um yeah which is you know and quite that, a thing for a movie such as this i think i think that's exactly it you know the the element where you walk into um his house in legacy and you get that moment where, you know, he's connected to the entire flat. And when he moves, the lights move and everything else, you know, it's all that integrated. That's just all to do with spirituality. So I think this fact of him not telling people about the secret project, I think the implied behind that is that he's going on a soul searching mission, you know, and he's not yet ready to, he's yeah. not reached the plane yet. So he's not ready to kind of expose it to the world. I think there's a lot of that implied, as you say, Rory, I think isn't, sort of addressed directly yeah i think that's why i sort of struggle a little bit with this film even though i i, I love it um it sort of gives you a lot of space to think it doesn't really talk about it too much i kind of wish it did just a little bit more like it presents ideas but doesn't really it's not that interested in exploring them i think why the film works in any extent sort of just on a story and character level we'll get into the sort of the look and sound of the film in a bit but um I think bringing back Jeff Bridges is like the key to this film and bringing back that character who I didn't really much care for in the first film. Like I, he's sort of like an amiable, affable, roguish rebel coder type guy. And here he's become this um, Obi Flynn Kenobi Jedi in the wasteland figure. I like how his whole frame of reference is still maybe you know stuck in the 80s when he sort of disappeared and things so uh it hasn't sort of evolved much but the way he talks about things um i like his expression talking about how the isos when they appeared it was bio digital jazz man um when uh sort of later on there's like sort of argument with him and sam and he's like you're messing with my zen thing man it's very much you know i use that expression a lot actually <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely taking like elements of the big lebowski the dude you know with him i was gonna say there's that scene when people go to his apartment and then piss on his rug and he's really annoyed by it well, <laughs> i mean there's that in his character in the original Tron as well, you know, breaking into the thing. And, and he's always that sort of goofy character that doesn't really care. And you can tell that he smokes loads of weed and he's really ace. And there is that throughout the first result. So whether that led the later characters, ooh. Yeah, I think they did have definitely sort of infused, like, have the Jeff Bridges that we know, sort of like, you know, since, you know, I think they infused Jeff Bridges, the, the, the human being, um, a little bit with Flynn and sort of merge them together to create this sort of composite Bridges Flynn persona. Yeah. So I remember when we talked about Tron 1, we asked ourselves this question, why is this film called Tron? Because 
Jeff Bridges' character in Tron 1 is kind of the audience surrogate, but Tron is kind of positioned as the hero because he's the security program in the first film. But of course, whilst Jeff Bridges' star has risen, um, the actor who plays Tron, Bruce, what's his name? Box Boxliner? <laughs> <laughs> Bruce Boxleitner, I think, yeah. Bruce Boxleitner, he's... He's a great presence in this film. Don't get me wrong. I love, I love his, um, his, his sort of surrogate father thing, and he's sort of trying to get Sam to come back to the company and things. But um, he's kind of a non-entity. And I guess I want to ask uh, Swanee, like when you were watching Tron Legacy for the first time, did you suspect that Rinsler might be Tron? Uh do you know, I, th- I don't think I really thought about it until the reveal. I uh, sort of, mm. yeah, it was there. It was maybe, maybe I didn't want to think about it because it was so obvious. I don't know. I, I definitely saw, you know, the Alan character as the father figure that guides him into it because he wants to keep him on the right track. And then he was sort of that was him. He's done with his role. Um, but yeah, no, I know it was definitely a bit of a oh, okay. Well, that makes it a bit more interesting. And then towards the end of the film, Rinsler slash Tron does what's known in the wrestling business as a heel face turn. <laughs> and he suddenly goes good for some reason. Because he knows that that's what he was created for. You know, he has a realization himself. I think that's the, to protect the user. That's the point. He was made to protect Jeff while Jeff got on with his thing. <laughs> or maybe he just looked down at his chest and realized he had a big T. <laughs> he does have a big T. So subtle. And he was like, wait a minute, there's no tea in Rinsler. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's but um, all my stuff or my clothes have Tron written in the collar. <laughs> see, I what what I liked about see, I, I wasn't really paying attention again to sort of like the Rinsler the Rinsler Tron thing, but um all I liked was just the little kind of clicking noises he mm. makes. He's got like these sort of like digital reptilian clicking noises like the predator or something that's like good sound design i think i was making noises throughout this film because of the amazing soundtrack like when the disney castle appears or digital digitified and just in my just in my mouth i was just going like (laughs) and then like in the kitchen i'm like going yeah (laughs) i mean i can't stop doing the music (laughs) There's a mate, yeah. The whole thing is absolutely, I mean, you know, it's, it's just pulls you through on a, a fantastical story, doesn't it? It's almost like Labyrinth as well. I always think of that. I keep harping back to amazing original films, but there's just so many with that musical songs that we all know the lyrics to that I won't sing now. But it, it's kind <laughs> of interesting, as you say, how you bring that into your everyday life. There's times you've been walking around the street going, that's the magic, that's without realizing. <laughs> um, as to the naming convention, though. Um, I don't know if you realise that it was so the, the companies that were working on the originals um, and all of the different uh, techniques and everything to be used, they developed this character for an advert or for an ident they were working with, entirely different project, but it threw discs and it was electronic. Hence, mm. they called it Tron, this character. So that's where we get the, the actual name from. But no, in terms of who the film is about that's another thing yeah it's, it's a lot of really confusing things where he's tron just just doesn't really exist as a character in this at all mm. he's just mentioned it, it might as well be called flynn legacy but uh it's not they didn't call the original film flynn <laughs> they, although they didn't call this film clue either because of the um 
the Cluedo movie. Yes. Which uh, um, I now want to see a film set in the Tron universe, but it's the plot of Clue. <laughs> Tim Curry in a Tron outfit <laughs> running around. <laughs> it's slightly Jumanji-esque. Maybe that's what Jared's going to do with the third one. He's just going to go full on Jumanji with it. Who knows? Who cares? I don't know. <laughs> um, well, we shall see. Okay. If there are no more questions, I would like you to meet our next blockbuster. Encom OS-12. Whoa. So a few bugs... something that was designed to be free. Now I got you. Don't sweat it. Your boss is okay with it. Yeah, the hell he is. Your boss works for the CEO, and the CEO works for the shareholders. Now, do you know who the biggest shareholder is? I don't know, some kid. You're Mr. Flynn? Why? This is your father's company. Not anymore. Hey, hey, kid. No, no! We've talked a bit about uh, Flynn, but what? And we touched upon son of Flynn, but let's give let's give Sam Flynn his due. He's kind of like a, a Robin Hood sort of character when you meet him, because he. It's just that weird thing where he's inherited a company. Or he's the major shareholder of a company, and he's—it's basically Bruce Wayne and Batman Begins. Mm-hmm. When I want to get my wife to watch this film, I'm say, "Oh, let's watch Tron Legacy." It stars Killian Murphy <laughs> um, <laughs> because Killian Murphy is present at this boardroom meeting, playing the son of um, Dillinger, aka D- David Warner from the original Tron. And I just really like his look. He looks like a tech nerd, and he's—he's he's there just to thread in and he was i believe going to be the main villain for the third film but he's just there and they're releasing a new operating system and alan is like why are you charging students for this stuff and what's different and the big boss is saying we put a 12 on the box of os 12 that's the only difference it's always very funny when 
Disney portrays evil corporations owning everything. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I don't know. I don't think they owned Marvel quite yet. This was the beginning of the start slash end, depending on your point of view. But Flynn wants nothing of this. He wants it the system for the people. And so he not only releases it free online, but he is pursued to a rooftop crane by the world's most loyal security guards. <laughs> he must be being paid a lot to do this. Either that was profoundly stupid. The kind of security guard that should have been paid by Paul Blart Morcock, basically. <laughs> I mean, this scene ends with a triumphant base jump. And again, you know, it's it's kind of obvious what it's doing. It's getting you on board with Sam Flynn because he's he's cool and all that jazz. But it would have ended very differently if the security guard lost his footing and just <laughs> fell into the floor, like head smashing through his shoulders up his arsehole and out again. <laughs> if I think if you play that sequence in slow motion and just look in the background, as he's parachuting down, you see a body sort of falling and hitting a car, <laughs> mm-hmm. parked car at the bottom of a skyscraper. <laughs> just terrible, terrible. But um, as I said, I mean, and you might feel differently. I guess he feels he fills the characterization that Alan did in Tron One. He's kind of the he's kind of the lead, but he's kind of a bit dull he's not he's your kind of default player character yes and it's like fine fine for like someone who has no connection to anything to be the blank slate audience surrogate but this is a character as the son of the main character in the first film he knows and is aware of what his dad was up to to an extent like when he is in the game world he's like well this is odd but he kind of rolls with it pretty quickly so like it's not quite the same as audience surrogate so they could have just like given him a little bit of charisma like the only kind of charismatic thing he does is when he's breaking into encom is that he says that is a big door which is just what his dad said when he was hacking in in the in the original movie it's just like that's your touchstone a little more of that but it's just kind of secondhand charisma, like a little bit of bridges rubbing off on him. <laughs> you see a bit of it in the, um, the sort of his retorts with people, you know, he's got a cheeky jibe or, and then he throws up a picture of his puppy, doesn't he? When he hacks in the system, you know, there's, like, mm. they, there's yeah. character drops, but what I would have loved to have seen would have been Taron Egerton having played Kingsman two and then mm. being him, you know, it's, you need that rough around the edges character, but. Yeah, I get why they chose him. He was a safe bet. He wasn't going to overdose while they were filming. So, you know. I, I think, like, uh, I haven't seen sort of much of his other stuff, but um, he was in Inside Lewin Davis, the Coen Brothers oh, movie, yeah. in, in just a kind of small role. But it was just like, oh, that's an actual performance. That's him actually acting. So, you know, I'm sure with other material, he's he's uh, a more commanding presence. I think there's more to the character and the direction. Um, there's sometimes sometimes your hero has the less interesting stuff to do <laughs> when it does work is when he's in the game world and has that relationship uh with his father and like particularly the very awkward family dinner mm-hmm. sequence that they have together i mean again like jeff bridges has given him gold and he's just rolling with it but it's still i like how that scene is sort of put together and played and they sort of like you know very awkward, stilted father-son conversation while uh, Quora is just like 
sat between them, looking even more awkward, stuffing her face with green beans. <laughs> she's like <laughs> she's like the girlfriend that he's brought to dinner at that point. I think. It's, it's yeah, really <laughs> I like it's like she's watching a conversation between God and Jesus as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is awkward. I'm just here for the fireworks. <laughs> Cora, though, I think I mentioned is possibly my favourite thing. I don't know. Jeff Bridges is great. I'm, I'm rocking his sort of hippie Jesus. But um, yeah, Olivia Wilde, it was so interesting watching some behind the scenes footage because she's now more of a director than an actress. And she directed one of my favorite films of last year, Booksmart. But in the behind the scenes footage of this, I suddenly noticed she was like the only actor present at all the like the pre-res sort of viewings and there's all these shots of like a group of men staring at screens and pointing their fingers at her and she's sort of holding a clipboard and raptured in the background you could totally see she's drinking in everything she needs to know to be a great film director that's awesome so that's kind of cool and it's the only thing i would have noticed i didn't notice watching the special features then but of course now i know where his career's gone this was really interesting but um i think her performance in this is fantastic she's got i think her the isos are described as uh incredibly naive but infinitely wise and i think she really gets that i think i mentioned i name checked uh the fifth element earlier it's one of my favorite films but um for the best one in the world i think mila jovovich is better at being a manic pixie dream girl as, as somebody who's incredibly wise but i get this sort of old soul feel from cora mm. yeah i think she's she's got um a very good way of playing it in that if you look at other legacy actresses that have gone before i was going to say in similar films but there's a lot of source material there for leading ladies, if you like, you know, or co, because she is, she's constant through that. And the story is, when you think about it, quite a lot about her in terms of how she and Sam are now going to take the whole thing forward or whatever that becomes, you know. So I think she, as you say, she plays it really well. And it's lovely to hear that behind the scenes stuff. But there's a lot of those kind of characters um, that she's had to learn from as well. She does it incredibly well. You know, it feels like she's, been in the system for years and she's got so much loyalty and devotion to to jeff good old jeff um <laughs> so yeah i think she does it really really well yeah it's, and do you know what there's things that you've just mentioned i've not really sort of thought about when watching it before sort of for seeing it again yeah what do you think of cora rory i haven't got sort of much more <laughs> to add than had already been said so happy to move on <laughs> again something in every disney film and what they do in marvel films you know just rinse out the template you need the lead character you need the funny quirky co-pilot and then you need the the third thing whatever and that's what bit of course came from the thing that jumps around and says no yeah was they needed this sort of disney side companion Mm. to take take some story through so i think some of her quirks and some of her you know reactions and some of the things she says there's, there's, there's very much a sort of childish playfulness to her i think that's that's very intentional because of disney you know yeah like when she first saves sam in the middle of the light cycle battle um when they're kind of like going off grid and their cycle light buggy or or whatever it is like she just sort of turns to him and kind of checks him out and you sort of think like, oh, it's all because he's like hot stuff or whatever. But it's also like, oh, she knows he is the son of Flynn. And it's just like, yeah, I got Jesus <laughs> in my buggy. I'm, I'm, <laughs> that's kind of cool. So I think like, yeah, she's very much sort of has those little mannerisms and looks and the things that she does is 
completely in keeping with the character and you sort of believe in her as a result she's fascinated by the world and i think that's what was happening when she was checking out flynn in the car she's like oh i've got a user a new user in my buggy there's and, that uh, lovely moment at the end where you know they're riding on the bike and just she has the sun coming up and that mm. i think encapsulates everything she's ever wanted in you know the whole thing about that as well and that's where i think the interesting lead into three might come is from this crossing the digital world which has been going on evidently for years but good old jeff didn't tell anyone and i think that's the only time we see full-on sunlight in the whole movie Mm. and so that does feel like a lifting of a cloud it's i think it's a really spine tingling ending even though i think the sun rises cgi so it kind of ruins that (laughs) speaking of sidekicks i guess the only other main character if you want to call him that is is Jarvis, who is kind of like the Smithers to clues Mr. Burns. <laughs> you kind of in all these movies have to have like a slimy bald sycophant to like go by your villain, whether it's I don't know, what's his name? Worm tongue in Lord <laughs> of the Rings or it's it's that yes, sire, as you command. <laughs> and he's got this great look, he's bald, but he's got this sort of transparent plate in front of his face for for no good reason i mean i guess even in the world of tron things are stylish and not stylish but uh yeah he's always fawning over clue he's not being really i'm sorry he's not being clued in to clue's plan he's keeping it very much to his chest but he wants to be let in um yeah it was just it just provided a nice bit of texture to the villains because clue the villain He's, I don't know, I I love the idea that he's trying to create this perfect system. Again, that's another really profound statement, a very profound story idea about creating perfection and really running with it. And he's kind of like a monstrous creation of Kevin Flynn because he didn't quite realize what he was doing when he was creating the perfect, creating Clue to create the perfect system. So his motivation I find incredibly chilling, but the character is... A bit odd. I don't know. Didn't quite click with me. He's I, not. He doesn't chew the scenery like David Warner did in the original. He's almost like ah, oh, what's his name? The head hyena in the Lion King. <laughs> well, didn't, didn't expect you to go there. Like, like what? It's, that's like Woody Goldberg. Yeah, but I can't remember the name of the, the hyena. That's really regular bug. I think a character is probably called Woody Goldberg. <laughs> I don't know if I did. Um, so not like. Zazu is in The Lion King fighting for good and kind of keeping the good narrative like a Yoda character. But he's that kind of just making sure that you know that the dark side also has character as well. I don't, you know, there's the weird reason to include him. It's certainly something that doesn't, I don't think, exist in the original Tron, but in Legacy, again, more and more Disney on top of it. I think you're right. It, it does guide the the narrative of the evil characters quite well and it also injects that bit of humor you know there's a couple of little quips there's one where um he gives sam the the light cycle and then he says oh what, what are you going to do with this and he just kind of looks back at me says not that you know it, yeah because he's holding the stick like a lightsaber right he's yeah he's, he's holding it on like a sword and doesn't so there's yeah that comedy element perhaps and i'd never thought about how he does tie the narrative before it's just been a throwaway appearance for me every time i've seen him but 
yeah, understanding it in that context, you're right. It's 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 quite vital to keep the humor like keep the humor there, and sort of not not allow the dark side to be too dark. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like trollifying them and saying, yeah, they're evil, but they're all right. Some of them are funny. <laughs> There's a bit when um, Jarvis breaks the tension when Clue visits Flynn's abandoned apartment and they're going through all his uh, trinkets and, and Jarvis just drops something and makes a massive crashing noise and he looks very awkward. I think he knows then he's going to be <laughs> murdered later on in the film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was strike number two. <laughs> I suppose if we're talking about characters and light and dark, then the other key player who shows up in a sort of small role but makes a very big impression is Port Talbot's very own Michael Sheen Mm. as Zeus, who definitely takes the sort of whole Ziggy Stardust look to the uh, nth degree. It's not subtle, is it? Um, (laughs) It's full on David Bowie. No, but it... it works. I think it works very beautifully yeah. in this film, and he definitely, I think, injects some life into the film uh, at that point. Come away from these primitive functions. The son of Flynn, of all the innumerable possibilities, he has to walk into mine. Libations for everybody. <laughs> Your host, provider of any and all entertainments and diversions at your service. I'm looking for zoos. Indeed, many are. Where can I find them? This, pretty miss, is a conversation best had behind closed doors. Perhaps we should retire to my private lounge. Oh. I designed it myself, you know. It's true. I'm stepping away for a moment, boys. Change the scheme, alter the mood. Electrify the boys and girls if you'd be so kind. Thank you. Jam. My name is Jam. Yeah, life is the crucial word, isn't it? Because I think as much as I really enjoy this film, I think it, it misses those injections of life. And it only appears when things like... Michael Sheen appears and he's so wonderful. They, he, the whole sort of MacGuffin of this film is uh, Kevin Flynn's light disc, which um, contains some crucial information, blah, 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 blah. But when Michael Sheen's in possession of the disc and he's sort of shaking it to his ear, listening for clues, he's just such a, so much fun to watch. Yeah. And of of course his club is also where Daft Punk themselves appear um, in their elements. DJs. I wonder. I do wonder what Daft Punk's fee was for that film. I, I question that it was nothing at all, <laughs> just because of the coolness. Based on what what I've read, that um, uh, it took them about a year to be convinced, because I think they were sort of touring at the time, and they hadn't really done, I think, sort of soundtracks in this way before. They had done a, a feature film, and they had done music videos, which sort of you know used sort of anime and all this kind of stuff. So they had definitely always been a very visual music act but that was all stuff originated from them this was them being sort of hired for a project but they were huge fans of the original film so they really did everything they could to sort of make it uh work and very much made it their own i think they were sort of given i don't know like 
carte blanche to do what they liked. So you have these kind of, I think if we're going to talk about the soundtrack, I think maybe we should, but these these elements, like you you feel like the bass is being turned up to almost sort of breaking point, all this kind of like throbbing, like everything feels like it's just on the point of breaking in terms of the sort of beats and the way, you know, those sort of electronic drums kind of hit. And there's like that slight sort of distorted ripple that comes from it each time that happens mm. it's just you know it, it's it's both score and soundtrack and soundscape all at the same time and i think not just the way the film looks but also this soundtrack i think has had a uh, a huge impact I, th- I don't think there's still like a film that looks or sounds like this but you think of um maybe this soundtrack maybe the drive soundtrack sort of influencing the synth wave kind of look obviously that stuff goes back to the 80s and you know with the soundtrack and this film going back to the 80s as well but updating it and creating a version of the future that was imagined in the past and the look of the film and the sound of the film is definitely the stuff that still holds up incredibly well decade on i think something about that is when you were talking earlier about the energy as well and to put it back to the michael sheen element was there's, there's four or five moments in the film that are right now we're doing something else you know it makes the audience kind of go right okay that was that bit and i think him entering the club is kind of very much like at the beginning of the warriors where you know he's the, the kind of can you dig it speech where it's getting a whole bunch mm. of people on side and it, it really lifts the energy again because you've just had quite a lot of different experiences throughout the film so i think yeah you know he plays that character really well and that you're right where it all comes together so well it's the energy the soundtrack the visual element and he does a great job of that that speech you know to deliver it into the daft punk this is the next thing this is the next stage in the film yeah i mean if like the zeus character basically cues up the music he's like go on give us another tune and sort of like you know something with a bit more energy and and that kind of thing so he's you know telling daft punk what to yeah. do <laughs> yeah and that's that's you know the epitome i think of the music the sound and the visual coming together and sort of change the energy which it does again four or five times through the film but yeah if i play michael sheen for for that apparently he was such a massive fan of the original tron that i think his agent had to warn him not to mention that fact because otherwise his fee would go down right wow. so yeah i think he was in his element too yeah. And I guess in this nightclub, um, I read in the trivia that the director of the original Tron, uh, Stephen Lisberger, yeah. uh, he is the bartender at the end of Lion Club. So that's quite cool oh, as well. Shit. So, of course, that director was responsible for the original Tron. And this was probably as good as point as any to talk about the differences in terms of technology between the original and this one. It's funny, I listened back to that earlier episode about the light cycles, and I said, I actually find the light cycle section in the original Tron much more tense than in Tron Legacy. And I'll stick by that. The the, gra- the special effects in Tron Legacy are obviously better, but I think it's that right angle thing where you can only go one of two ways in the light cycle, left or right, mm. that, that makes the interaction really, really piss your pants scary that binary choice what do you think of the light cycle chase uh swanee yeah the second one is obviously more visually and aesthetically pleasing and they've been able to go up much more sort of uh, you know the frame rates a lot higher and they've been able to do a lot. swerves they could do sort of yeah you know 
and they've got better better audio now as well. You know, I think that's the expectation around the light cycles in this film versus the first. Again, you know, very different. And um, I just love in this one how they've managed to build up this whole of the world. They've really thought about those arenas and thought about the kind of you know the how things would have changed from the the first one into more sort of battle arenas and spectator sports and mm. ramps that jump up out of nowhere. So yeah, they've obviously had some great. Um, great pointers and a lot of that and they've looked at a lot of probably monster truck arena stuff but <laughs> it's something in um you know we we're talking a little bit about the games earlier it's something in gamification of films and mm. um i didn't expend and expand on it earlier but rory when you were talking about the formulaic nature of the stages and you go here's this bit here's this bit because you can easily transpose that into a game which i think mm something with the light i'll tell you one of the best examples of that is actually g-force don't tell anyone <laughs> the guinea pig what the guinea pig okay, movie yeah one of the best translations of uh, game to sort of film to game rather but toy story you know and all the others they do a very formulaic job of now you're in the bit where you have to run through the trees now you're in the bit where um and I, yeah i'm still crying out for a perfect light cycle game really other than the first arcade game that, that really captures that energy and i was really hoping that they could do a good job of of um, making a game of this this one which they've yet to do but we'll soon see maybe there's a, a new sit down arcade game to come um although no, it might be one of those things where like an unofficial inspired by indie game does a better job than any official product that's true yeah i mean i've played the um the star wars pod racer machine which is phenomenal mm. and that came Sorry, that brought back memories for me of the original sit-down Polygon Star Wars cab. Um, and, you know, there's something that's sort of missing in that space harrier kind of to one side. The, the simulation aspect of it, super hang-on and things, sure. But I, I think you wouldn't be able to get the motion of the, the cycle. You know, it's, it's almost like you'd have to go full ace combat with it. Sorry to get a bit gaming in it, but... Have to go yeah, I don't want gaming in our games podcast. <laughs> It'd be more of a dogfighter type game, I think, than it would anything else, um, mm. than a racing game necessarily. But who's to say if it's Disney, you could end up with Tron Tron Kart very soon. <laughs> it's untapped potential, isn't it? Again, I mentioned earlier, Tron Legacy for me is like so much potential, and I just want this franchise to sing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's like a decent game as you say you know there's been a few of them i just want someone to to grab it and make a, a proper version and apologies to anybody listening to this who made any of the other games you did a great <laughs> job you've all done really well at it but i'm sure you also admit nothing's really kind of broken it through you know considering it is a game about a, a film about being inside a, a computer it's it's just odd that there's never been that I'm not going to use the current game du jour word because it's getting enough promotion, but that triple A listed title should have been released at the same time of the game. It should have been absolutely phenomenal. One new addition to the the vehicles of Tron are the sort of the planes, uh, which I think the ending sort of plane fight, I just find it incredibly exciting and visually stunning. And I kind of forget about this bit because... I mean, this film, it runs at a real clip until I suppose we arrive at uh, Kevin Flynn's apartment and then things sort of necessarily slow down. There's, there's actually not that many action sequences in this. It's like 
the second act is almost entirely action free and it's really only at the end when they we suddenly got uh, and, you know, there's a section at the evil base, which, again, is a lot of just running back and forth and big speeches by Clue. And then we have this sort of plane action sequences. But I, I love the planes and I would totally play a video game where you're not only dogfighting, but also having to avoid the, the trails left by the planes. Mm. Again, it seems incredibly dangerous to your own squadron to <laughs> <laughs> have those things. And I think an element of that open worldness you know in some games like borderlands and things like that and um, far cry blood dragon and there's a few that have kind of done that quite well fallout and, and things but as you say not in that sort of futuristic realm that would be pretty phenomenal yeah my interest in the film seriously starts to wane after the end of line bar sequence because I think much like the original film, once they board the solar sailor, everything kind of just slows down. And there's some nice little moments, like, you know, they talk about the sunrise and and that sort of thing. But with the whole, like, Clue army base and, yeah, the light jet stuff is, is nice. But um, I think that's where my sort of um, interest wanes in the film seems to sort of slow down just a bit too much. But it's been I, I, 10 years since this film. And since that time, I've seen like 100 Star Wars films when someone sat inside a ship with a gunner station and they go, buddha, 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 buddha. And then yeah. they go, woo! And I'm like, I've seen this so many times now. <laughs> I do like them. I think, you know, I perhaps didn't give them enough enough due. But the um, I think there's, again, another energy to it. And it needed, in legacy, something new. You know, you needed a new light cycle. Mm. technology's come a long way what have you got now all right cora's got a buggy cool but yeah you <laughs> needed that okay what's the next big jump of course it is it's lights okay and that would be scooters it's electric scooters <laughs> tron vespers <laughs> but i think the in the same way that the first light cycle scene in legacy and we've got that in um a show that rory and i put together with dj yodrex is a nice moment where we cover that light cycle being creators as it comes through the air it does that again with the the, the light bikes as you say sorry the light flying ones <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so as those are formed you know as a fan you go oh what? and it's kind of the final hurrah so i think you know rory possibly where you've gone okay yeah cool that's the end of the film it's sort of that sort of three-quarter mark isn't it where i in other films would perhaps start to go all right what's next now i'm thinking about leaving the cinema i'm thinking about get in the tube or whatever um but as a fan for me that was a real next piece of energy and right okay i won't go to the toilet i'm gonna do the next 10 minutes you know yeah you sat there in, in a urine soaked seat <laughs> watching the end of Tron legacy <laughs> which will be the first time <laughs> <laughs> so the whole thing is that clue has been trying to get flynn's identity disc and that's like the whole thing is that oh he can't go back onto the grid, etc., because he'll become a target. And, you know, that's what happens. Someone manages to pinch Flynn's identity disc uh, just at the last moment of the end of the line bar, which does beg the question, why don't we just all wear backpacks or maybe, like, <laughs> secure it? I mean, like, it's just taken by a grappling hook. We asked that question in the first film. It's like, the discs are decreed to be the most important thing you could possibly own, but you don't have to throw them about the place a bit. Like you <laughs> deliberately try to break them or hide them. Um, um, yeah. I mean, uh, 
Kevin Flynn's point is that he he's not playing the game. He's taken himself off the grid because the one thing Clue needs is his identity disc, and that's the what's a if he just doesn't play, then he's not going to take part. It's pretty much again Luke Skywalker from the Last Jedi. He's taken himself out of the equation. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of similarities to that. Also, this being our Christmas episode, Kevin Flynn looks a lot like Father Christmas, which um, I just had images of like a tronified santa claus which i'm sure is out there on pinterest or whatever father gridmas <laughs> followed by a chain of 12 light jets oh beautiful beautiful <laughs> what i want for christmas tron 3 <laughs> that's all i want but yeah that's the the whole point and because clue is the one who has actually sent the page to alan in the real world in order to entice someone to open up the portal so that he can launch an army into the game into the real world and it just so happens that person who answered the call effectively is son of flynn so even better for his plan etc it also just so happens that the way into the grid is not the way out it's like somehow Opening the portal in the virtual Flynn's basement opens a portal somewhere else. It's very com- convenient if you want to make uh, effectively a road slash chase movie. <laughs> and you don't have the same. It's that sort of the check in, isn't it? You know, when you land there, that's that's your. Um, you got to clear three customs, and of course, you get the, the four girls come and whip all the clothes off, put some new clothes on you, and that's it. You're in now. But like you say, there isn't that on the out at all. You just sort of booted out unceremoniously at the end of it. Yeah, that's the real world's problem. <laughs> Deal with border control there. He comes He comes into the grid wearing his real clothes, and then he gets stripped by the sirens, and then he leaves... Does he just leave completely naked? Uh, like naked and alone, in a phrase? Like, like, uh, so like naked. The T, is it the T-1000, like he does? Was it like Kyle Reese more appropriate? I have big issues with the T-1000 and Terminator 2 because right. they establish that Terminators have to travel naked through time because of their meat exterior. But if a T-1000 is liquid metal, he had to have come into like a... He had to arrive in like a, in a giant fleshy bag or something. <laughs> and if that was the case, why didn't he bring laser guns with him? James they, Cameron's full of shit. They would have perforated the bag, obviously, and then there would have been... <laughs> I mean, it's it's catch twenty two. If you if you if you've got a a a a living weapon made of metal, then he could bring guns in the same method he brings himself through. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Tron Legacy doesn't have these problems. We just we do, it establishes that every time Kevin Flynn visited the grid, he had to take a ten mile walk to where he leaves, <laughs> or on his light cycle, I suppose, across the sea of simulation. Good grief, where have I gone? I've just seen, I've just noticed on it as well that those the data disks are the digit. It says, although a human is far more complex than being a basic program, digitized users who have only been known to arrive without disks still appear to need them. I don't know how many digitized users have arrived apart from Flynn's both. And it's funny that the sirens who, who are basically the armorers, they give Sam a disk and tells him, tells them that this is going to record everything. But later on, uh, Clue looks at his disc at stuff which has happened before he got the disc. <laughs> I mean, th- again, going back to what I was saying, I think this is a flawed masterpiece, and I think there's there's sort of slight 
weird things which doesn't which doesn't make it entirely click like the stakes of this film sound really apocalyptic the stakes are a digital all-powerful army is going to attack the real world but this is something which is very much said and not you're not seen and it's kind of like in star wars where you need a demonstration of the death star's power to fear the death star you know if if you never saw the Death Star destroy Alderaan, spoilers for Star Wars, then the Death Star trench one would have less sort of of a threat. You were just told constantly, oh, it's going to blow up this planet, and then you never see it. And so there'll be a bit of you going, oh, I really wish it blew up the planet. <laughs> sort He's of saying you, you really wanted that sort of Marvel-esque end scene with everyone coming out of the sky through a, some sort of, you know, warp system. You wanted that moment, did you, the sort of, well, I was promised that York. moment for That's Tron 3, but we'll see. Yeah, or it will end up like Pitzels, as we said. <laughs> Please don't. Just as long as Jared Leto's not in it, that's fine. <laughs> um, if you're listening, Jared Leto, we'd love to meet you in person. <laughs> Actually, well, I, no. Fuck off. <laughs> I would. Can I have a part in Tron 3, please? That'd be great. Hi, Jared. Do you think he'll be just like uh, when he was on set of Suicide Squad, he was sending cast members used condoms to get into character? Do you think he'll be sending used batteries? Mm, floppy disks. Ooh. Check me out. Floppy I'm disc. twisted. I didn't realise that he did that, and now I hate him even more. Well, maybe to get into character, he'll just like try and force himself into a computer CD drive and die in the process. Had a feeling you'd be here. The cycles haven't been kind, have they? Oh, you don't look so bad. I did everything. Everything you ever asked. I know you did. I executed the plan. As you saw it, you... You promised that we would change the world together. You broke your promise. I know. I understand that now. I took the system to its maximum potential. I created the perfect system. The thing about perfection is that it's unknowable. It's impossible, but it's also right in front of us all the time. You wouldn't know that because I did it when I created you. I'm sorry, Clue. I'm sorry. So, finally... Clue meets his creator again, Kevin Flynn, right next to um, the portal. And um, I still get kind of emotional here. It's again, it's it's it feels like Frankenstein where the creature meets his creator. And it's, it, I think I think it resonates with people how they they have been tried. They've been created in their father's image. They've been tried. They've been they, they, they're not living up to what their father wants so i do find it powerful when he just doesn't understand why he can't keep doing what he wants to do and again i think the music helps <laughs> i listen to this soundtrack a lot so again it really sells the emotion even if the cgi uncanny valley kevin flynn slash clue doesn't really do this for you yeah but uh i mean it all culminates with sam and cora escaping from the grid Clue and Flynn left behind reintegrate into each other. Big explosion, as as you expect. The plot establishes if they join together, 
they will both die. There's no good reason for that. It's just for, for plot reasons. Like Cora at the start says, oh, you know, if they join, they'll cancel each other out. But I don't see anything which establishes that someone writing a program. I mean, you'll you, you do video games more than us, Swanee. If you create a program and then someone deletes it, do you, do you get deleted? Uh, I think that's exactly how it works, yeah. That's oh, God. Of these great developers, we can't find them anymore. Bloody hell. <laughs> something today. No, I think what happens is you uh, they basically just send you off to the Welsh mountains and you buy a shack in the middle of the Welsh mountains and that doesn't sound so bad. No, there's there's a few there's a few legacy developers that have gone off and done that, so I assume it's it. Um <laughs> but no, I wonder about that in the you know, in the real world, moving forward just very quickly into sort of rounding this off and relating it back to its intended real world kind of footing. I don't I don't know. The um where where is the line between the deletion of the file, you know, of the user and the the program, and uh, with your avatar and everything like that? Do you not feel that some of your older game characters that you no longer play anymore are kind of perhaps feeling a little lonely in a digital wasteland, <laughs> just sort of strewn on a heap somewhere? I did delete a save file in a game recently. I started playing like an old GameCube game and I wanted to start from the start, so I deleted it. And it was like deleting all those, all that time and all that mm. potential, just gone. <laughs> there's, a, there's a really wonderful story, and um, you know, so you can look up online about a guy who discovered his father's PlayStation memory cards oh my God. in the attic. His father had since passed away, um, but he plugged them in and was playing GT. Uh, Gran Turismo against his dad effectively against all his times and stuff oh my god you know a really heart-wrenching it's it's a lovely story you know and those kind of and I feel there's something in that and something in Tron and sort of a final words for me is is that that the legacy is the sort of the memory data and everything you know with with the original Tron you've got files being set up and programs being created and I think we're just ever living ever more in this digital world of photos and data and everything else. You know, the memories and the legacy will always be there now. I thought you were going to say he found his dad's copy of GTA and was basically <laughs> doing all the drug running and, and prostitute murder that his dad used to do. <laughs> there's a great one, and I won't, I won't labour on this one, but there's a great one about a guy that played Skyrim. And uh, he found this shack on top of a hill and I, I do know the shack, it's an old wizard shack or something. But he ended up having to kill this woman because she attacked him because he stole some grass from outside a house or something. So he had to kill this old lady and then kind of stole all the stuff from her house as well. He was like, well, there's no point just leaving it for him. So he started stealing the melons from her, you know, cookery equipment and whatever. And then when he ran out of space, he had to put the melons effectively into this woman's inventory. Which right. Is, you know, I don't know if you've played. He loaded Skyrim, a dead woman up with melons. Loaded a dead woman up with melons, and then every time he was off in the world, he just it became a compulsive thing for him to collect melons and return to this <laughs> spot and continually put them into this melon woman. So anyway, it comes to the point where his son is playing the game, you know, and it's yeah, yeah you can go off. I'm just going to go and make dinner. And his son's dad he comes into the room and says. Well, it's really weird. I've just found this woman. She's got like 300 melons. In her. <laughs> it's what she would have wanted. <laughs> there you go. The shared joys of generational gaming now that we're in. <laughs> so we've gone from groundbreaking technological advancement of the early 80s to a dead NPC loaded with melons. Absolutely. Flynn, Sam Flynn, he leaves the lab. On his necklace, 
we now have a tiny microchip which seems to have the entire like world of Tron on it. So I hope he doesn't lose that down the sofa or in the <laughs> washing machine. <laughs> um, and that's kind of where we leave the film, where you know him and Cora are living together. But what is everyone's final thoughts on Tron Legacy, Rory? I think uh, I, I hadn't seen this film since I first saw it in the cinema. And when I first saw it in the cinema, I don't think I'd actually ever watched Tron from start to finish. So quite a bit of it was lost on me. And I think particularly all the kind of emotional attachment this film gives Tron and Clue and these characters was also sort of lost on me. So I was more there for the, like, the whiz-bang visual effects and... Uh, the amazing soundtrack. And I think those are the elements that really, apart from Jeff Bridges' digi double face, um, uh, still hold up remarkably well since. And I think I probably enjoyed it more this time around than I did in in the cinema, just because I was a bit more uh, aware of what I was getting myself into and what this film was sort of about. I still think it does drag quite a bit in places, but not as much as maybe I think the original did because I was a little bit bored by the uh, original movie watching it. Heresy. I know, but I just <laughs> I, I think it's one of those things where like I didn't watch it so much as a child or I didn't kind of grow up with it and it wasn't my thing. And then I think looking back on it, some of it doesn't sort of hold up quite as well. Mainly pacing, I think, is the is the issue. And this film is better paced, but I think could probably still stand to lose a good 20, 30 minutes somewhere just to keep it at a fairer clip. It was the most expensive film ever made by a first-time director up till that point. It cost $170 million to make uh, from director Joseph Kaczynski, who since made Oblivion with Tom Cruise. He's also directed the forthcoming Top Gun sequel that um, we touched on earlier, Top Gun Maverick. Um, and it made... I also read that he's uh, he was an architect before he went into cinema, so you can definitely see that in the design mm. of the world of Tron. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it made $400 million, which is a good amount. It's not sort of maybe mega, mega bucks for mega blockbuster territory, but clearly enough to have these Tron 3 rumblings going on but i agree with you harry i'm i'm i'd be interested to see what happens next in this story i don't know if we're going to get that in whatever tron 3 uh, comes to be uh swanee you were a big fan of tron as a kid <laughs> but um what do, do you think of this sequel i mean you're, a, you're i'm assuming you got this tattoo when you're an adult not a child <laughs> i did yeah definitely definitely as um, yeah and but, i think like how did this live up to the original for you it, for me, I think the fandom and the fascination of Tron comes from, uh, you know, we were touching on the, the elements of self-exploration and the story around spirituality earlier. There's something about the mixing of real world and this sort of digital ethereal world that we're heading towards that really fascinates me, I think. And that bred the fascination and the fandom for the original film and and more love for that i suppose as time has gone on so the expectation on the second film was was, was quite high but knowing that really it was just going to be a very visual uh, love story and you know it wasn't necessarily going to break any boundaries i think watching it without those sort of 
um, expectations. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great, um, I won't say reboot because it, it wasn't really. I thought it was a great next look at the storyline um, rather than being technologically amazing. You know, they concentrated on, on the journey, which I think was good. I, yeah, I think it, it holds together. Well, I'll stick by what I said earlier. I I think I do like really, really passionately enjoy this, but um, but like with a few caveats, especially in terms of pacing, because that that middle section, there's I think there's just one too many stops. Like they go from the end of Lion Club to the Evil Base, and then to I guess a section on the Solar Sailor, and then to the port at the end. So I think they could perhaps streamline that section just to keep the momentum up, but. It, it is very much the the production design front and center the sound and the visuals keeps me gripped but the the spirituality aspect i do like and the profound ideas i do like and i just wish you'd explore those a little bit more mm. and and yeah it's like the best sequels i suppose it leaves me itching for more and i feel i'm, I'm just in a constant state of anxiety as to whether or not we'll get more of the tron i enjoy <laughs> or not fingers crossed so maybe or maybe not tron legacy will have a legacy onto itself but in the meantime how can people keep in touch with games on films legacy oh i i, I landed that that's perfect <laughs> very uh, nice segue yes you can find information about the podcast and video game movies or video game films in general on our website gamesonfilm.witsite.com slash podcast we're on social media we're on twitter we're on facebook and instagram at games on film pod and you can contact the show games on film pod at gmail.com I'm on Twitter at Rory Steele. I'm at Only Man Who Can. And the music for this episode was composed by David Lightfoot. Um, Swanee, do you have anything to plug or do you uh, want to share your social media details or uh, let people reach out and touch you? <laughs> if anybody would be interested enough to follow my retweets, then of course uh, you can check me out at that well, Swanee on Twitter. Um, but yeah, don't expect anything exciting, obviously engaging, other than Tron pictures being shared. <laughs> Sega. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for having me on. I just uh, it's a good chance to talk through some stuff to do with Tron. Talk through some stuff about before. Well, just thought of some stuff that I never thought about before. It's made me really think about when I rewatch it again. Now I'll have another 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 angle. Not just right angles. We'll leave the politics jokes there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, yes. Thank you very much for joining us on Games and Film. And if, no, when Tron 3 happens, perhaps we'll have you back and to see and see just how well it holds up. But uh, until then, I've been Harry. I've been Rory. I've been Swanee. Thank you so much for listening. And we will see you again in the new year, wherever you are over this festive period. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. And uh, farewell, programs. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>